The following conversation with Ramir Chatterjee about Karl Marx originally aired May 4th, 2018, the day before Marx's 200th birthday, on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio, in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Welcome to the Radical Songbook, sisters and brothers. Before I get too far along, I should tell you that the views and opinions expressed on the Radical Songbook are mine alone or those of my guests, and I do have a guest here in the studio with me today, and they do not reflect the views of the KPOV Board of Directors, KPOV staff, underwriters, sponsors, or any other DJs or volunteers. So, yes, we are paying uh, birthday greet. We're sending out birthday greetings to Karl Marx, who was born... 200 years ago on May 5th, tomorrow, and Pete Seeger, who would be 99, uh, he he was born on May 3rd, 1919, and my favorite baseball player of all time, Willie Mays, who was born on May 6th, 1931, Uh, so he's 87. I guess I would say Willie Mays was the center fielder on my baseball team. Karl Marx would definitely be the left fielder. And I don't know, I wouldn't want to put Pete Seeger in right field, so I don't know where I'd put Pete, you know. Uh, maybe, at, maybe at third base or second base, I don't know. But uh, anyway, so um, as I said, welcome. And uh, just real quickly, I want to also remind you that May 5th is known as Cinco de Mayo, um, which uh, is not the uh, Mexican Independence Day. It's a holiday that celebrates the date of the Mexican, uh, Mexican Army's 1862 victory over France at the Battle of Puebla. That was during the Franco-Mexican War. I'm sure you all remember that war. Cinco de Mayo 2018 occurs on Saturday, of course. It's, uh, it's really a relatively minor holiday in Mexico. It's probably become more of a holiday in Mexico since the United States, since it became a much larger kind of event here in uh, the U.S. Cinco de Mayo, has, it's kind of evolved into a um, local, in the U.S., into a commemoration of Mexican culture and heritage, particularly in areas where there are large Mexican-American populations. But really, uh, here in Bend, uh, Cinco de Mayo is basically celebrated by a bunch of white people drinking large quantities of beer, near as I can tell. That's their idea of celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Um, all right, so Romir Chatterjee is here in the studio with me. Romir, welcome. Hi, Michael. Good to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it very much that, you've, that you're here. And we're going to be, uh, shortly, we are going to be uh, talking about... Uh, Karl Marx, uh, and uh, what he his relevancy is uh, in this day and age. Some of you may know that uh, there's a recent film out, The Young Karl Marx. It's available on uh, Netflix. I've seen it. Have you seen that film, Ramirez? Yes, it's very good. Interesting, well-made. Yeah, I thought so, too. And uh, it was done by the same guy who did that film. Uh, I'll have to look this up. But he that film that was called I Am Not Your Negro, which is about uh, James Baldwin. Yes. Documentary, which is also a really great film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of interesting that here in 2018, there's actually a film about Karl Marx and Frederick Engels to uh, – Revolutionary thinkers, I, I would say, back in the 1840s, and and it uh, sort of chronicles um, in a pretty dramatic and, pre- and pretty um, accessible mm-hmm. um, form and film uh, their life leading up to the point when they wrote uh, uh, a uh, uh, something called the Communist Manifesto. So, uh, Romir, thanks for coming in today. Good to be here. I appreciate it very much. I, I invited Romir in because he and I have, um, you know, we, we've, we've uh, he, he more than I, but we both uh, in uh, earlier in our lives um, read some Marx, read some Engels, uh, read some other similar progressive-minded uh, economists and stuff. Romir is much more, um, uh, has done much more of this reading than I have. And so, uh, anyway, I really do appreciate uh, you're you're coming in, and uh, I don't know where where would you where would you 
where do you want to start? I mean, there's a couple of different ways that we could that we could go here. Uh, obviously, we want to talk about uh, uh, his relevancy today, uh, such as it is, but also um, historically. I mean, and, and what was happening? What was his? What was Karl Marx's relevance? Do you think? Uh, and Frederick Engels, his his co-author on numerous uh, publications, including. The manifesto. What were, what what was their relevancy in their well, time? Think, in their time, I think the major consequence of both Marx and Engels was their huge impact on uh, the working class and what they were able to accomplish through what seemed to a lot of people a purely academic exercise. Uh, analyzing what then was uh, capitalism in its early stages. And uh, he did it in a way that made sense to a lot of people, and especially to working people. And uh, through that process, he was a very active individual. He was an activist more, even though he was such an academic guy. He was primarily interested in seeing the world changed. And from his understanding and point of view, the problem was capitalism as, a, as an economic system. And he spent most of his life trying to figure that out and write about it. And it made a huge impact on the world at large over a period of almost, uh, well, all the way down to the very present. Yeah, right. I, I think one of the things that um, I think will strike viewers if they get a chance to watch the young Karl Marx is that these these many of these meetings, these gatherings uh, that Marx would present his viewpoint to, and along with Frederick Engels, were working class people. Oh yeah, they were workers. They were literally workers. They were they were people that worked in factories and 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 such. This was they were not. I mean, there were some people that were, I don't know, with what you'd say, a little more educated, you know, perhaps. But these were, you know, these were just like ordinary workers who were uh, talking about this stuff, which you know, uh, has, has always fascinated me. That that here in this country, I think people don't realize that the the roots of of some of this most radical thought. Uh, doesn't come out of, um, of on you know academics and stuff. I mean, it is really rooted in working class uh, thought and experience. The, the experience that comes with being a worker. And uh, who better knows how capitalism screws people than the people getting screwed? That's right. <laughs> and certainly in the nineteenth century, a lot of people were getting screwed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was a system that was very efficient at screwing people that seemed to be emerging, and and it was a and it was emerging. I mean that you know that's the other thing is today, maybe people have this idea that you know that this economic system that we live in, this capitalistic system, has been around forever. When of course it hasn't. No, and uh, it's changed as well, and is always changing. And one of his great contributions, which makes him relevant today, is that he gave us a system of, by which to look at changes in the economic system and what was going on then. A lot of it continues to be relevant today. Right, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, to see if I can... Find something here that I've, I have. There's a there's a lot of material out there about Karl Marx. All of a sudden, uh, that you can find on on the internet, and and I'm not sure uh, um, if it's because of the birthday or because of the film or whatever. I I do think that uh, a lot of what we're seeing right now um, has to do to a certain extent with. Um, Kind of changes of at, perhaps changes in attitude about uh, about ideas of communism and ideas of socialism, and I kind of here in the U.S. I can't really speak for other countries, but I think here in the U.S. because I think other countries these conversations have probably been going on for a lot longer. But um, I kind of look back to like the 2016 election, Bernie Sanders running for president. 
publicly identifying himself from the get-go as a democratic socialist. When challenged by that, about that, when media would say, you're a socialist, he basically, his response was, yes. I, I wouldn't say that his platform was a democratic so, democratic socialist platform. It was more of a New Deal platform. But his, his willingness to just say that, sure, I sure. think, turned a lot, and especially among young people, but yeah. I think all people who were, you know, thought, wow, well, gee, he's kind of a neat guy, and... Uh, this is not so bad. Yeah. Well, I think also the ideas that characterized the Cold War through much of the 50s and 60s um, have sort of uh, receded into the background as uh, the Soviet Union dissolved and collapsed and uh, uh, communism was as an international organized force Right, considered to have been defeated, and uh, that in itself changed the context in which people talk about Marx and communism as well. Right, and of course, there's that whole idea. There's Marx, in my view, there's Marx, and what Marx and Engels wrote about, and then there's Marxism, which, which in a sense, Marx had nothing to do with, and which he disavowed. <laughs> Yeah. He said, I am not a Marxist <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <right. laughs> towards the end of his life. That's, yeah. uh, he wanted to put some distance between himself and uh, his so-called uh, followers. Yeah, and so for better or worse, and I don't mean to – I mean I don't think that, that this is a – I wouldn't want to make this as a blanket statement, for, but for, for better or worse, Marxism um, – Kind of uh, didn't 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 uh, hasn't uh, what's been considered Marxism in the world uh, as practiced in different co- countries and by parties in this country don't necessarily haven't necessarily always accurately reflected what Karl Marx wrote about what he thought how he saw the world. Well, also he uh, one interesting point is of course that he never established a blueprint for the future. What he gave us was a system of thinking and an analysis of what had happened up to his, in his own lifetime. And uh, so he wasn't great at trying to lay out what the future was going to be like. Right. And yet, and yet a lot of the, uh, and yet today, and well, and for quite a while, uh, those who are critical of Marx will basically claim that he actually did do that. That they'll they'll misrepresent what he you know they'll 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 make the claim that he did try to you know tell the future and failed in doing so. I mean I I think you see that a lot in in the way that people um, one of the ways that people use to, well, I think to criticize he, uh, the other interesting in my view interesting thing about Marx was that he. To the extent that he made any uh, guesses about the future, the guesses he made that seemed to have come come about and have proven remarkably uh, uh, accurate are his predictions about capitalism itself. Absolutely. In fact, I've got a quote here from this is by uh, an article by a guy named Scott McLemy writing in uh Jacobin, is that how you pronounce it? Jacobin. Jacobin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back in February where he says, he, he quotes the, what he says of the middle-aged Marx, as he said in the uh, writing in the New York Tribune in 1859, quote, there must be something rotten in the very core of a social system which increases its wealth without diminishing its misery. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. And then, you know, another you know thing worth noting is that in terms of, Capitalism and this, and I'm, I'm again going to quote here from another article. This is by a guy named uh, uh, Jason Barker. This was actually in the New York Times just a few days ago, where he he says that uh, uh, first, let's be clear: Marx arrives at no magic formula for exiting the enormous social and economic contradictions that global capitalism entails. But he says, according to Oxfam, 82% of global wealth generated in 2017 went to the world's richest 1%, which in a sense very much proves Marx's point about 
the future of capitalism, I would say. Yeah, very much so. And he predicted, in a way, um, a lot of things that we now talk about all the time, this growing inequality, which has reached global proportions. But uh, that's not new. <laughs> no, but but it's but it's you know it's I mean in, in a sense I think a lot of uh, there's a, there's a lot of people a lot of economists uh, out there whether they want to acknowledge it or not they actually have kind of accepted that Marx was right about capitalism. Oh, absolutely, they, liberal he was right about they, a lot of things. They, they don't want to they don't want to say that, but but that's the reality. You know, that's true. Yeah, so um, so I wanted to just get back to, to to what's happening, what's been happening recently. I mean, in addition to, I mean, one of the things that that, that has happened here in the United States uh, that think I think that uh, uh, came out of the election um, was, you know, a lot of people that had were um, attracted to what Bernie Sanders was saying after the election were looking. To go to do something, and one of the things that's happened is Democratic Socialists of America has just exploded in growth, um, almost to the well, actually to the point where uh, they've they've expanded since the election. They expanded from forty chapters nationally, and being a, a somewhat obscure organization, really. When you get down, I mean, you and I know who they are, but there's a lot of people that didn't. Yeah. And and uh, and it's not a political party, it's an organization. But they've expanded from 40 to 180 chapters nationally. Their membership is up to 35,000, which has tripled since the election of, of Trump, most of them young people. And, you know, this is an organization that was founded way back in 1992 and is kind of, in a way, you know, has sort of been on the left, you know, there all that time, but not. And now, I mean, really what's happened is DSA has exploded so much by people that are suddenly interested in accepting socialism as a uh, viable viewpoint, a viable economic viewpoint. Uh, almost to the point where, well, actually to the point where DSA can, can't even really keep up with it at all. There, there was an effort here in Bend uh, after the election of uh, about mm -hmm. a dozen or so people. And it, 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 you know, sadly, I mean, what, what it needed, in my opinion, having gone to a few of the meetings, what they really needed was they needed some help from DSA. They needed somebody to come from DSA, somebody, an experienced member of DSA to spend some time here with them to help them. Mm -hmm formulate a chapter you know so it's sad that that didn't happen but it's happening all over the country yeah that's true and i think also people this of course has happened in the past as well that uh people start rediscovering marks uh, that happened in the 60s after the cold war started heating up right and people started dying in wars all over the world, in Vietnam in particular. Uh, people were forced to try to understand how all of this came to be. And lo and behold, they discovered that uh, Marx had written a lot about these kinds of possibilities. And uh, I think to some extent the same thing is going on today. Yeah, uh, there's a quote from a guy, and I, I'm not familiar with this person, but perhaps you are, Emanuel Wellerstein? Wellerstein, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, an article, there's a, 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 a long interview with him that appeared in Truthout, where he says, <laughs> this cracked me up, there's an old story about Marx, you throw him out the front door and he sneaks back in through the rear window. <laughs> and that's what's happened once again. Marx is relevant because we have to deal with issues about which he still has a lot to say, and because what he said is different from what most other authors argued about capitalism. Many columnists and scholars, not, scholars, not only myself, find Marx extremely useful to, and today is one of he is in one of his new popularity phases, despite what was predicted um, several years ago with the demise of the Soviet Union, right? Uh, among other mm -hmm. things that happened in the late 80s. So, uh, yeah, and you talk about the 60s. You, that's when you and I kind of first were that's, became aware. That's when I became aware of yeah, Karl Marx. Yeah, sure. And a lot of us came to. So, so I read the manifesto. Um, 
back then and 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 since then um it's a uh, Something that would you'd recommend that people could should uh, check oh, that out? Oh, absolutely! It's a classic. I mean, it's uh, a piece of literature worth reading, if nothing else. Um, and in a way, it lays out some of the basic ideas that Marx used in his subsequent efforts to understand capitalism and his great. Opus Magnum Opus, which was Das Kapital, right? Capital, right? Capital, yeah. Uh, which came out in the course of his lifetime, and he never really finished it. And uh, but people continue to read Capital for insights into what they do today. Uh, economists, in particular owe a great debt to Marx and uh, a lot of the things he touched on are things that we continue to grapple with today. Uh, such as? Such as, well, for one thing, uh, the question of uh, what is to be done? <laughs> How do we change the We're all aware of a lot of the problems the question is, how do we go about changing it? And he was very clear about his own thoughts on this when he talked about the role of the working class as the vanguard of social change. Um, today, the question of what const what is the working class is uh, a big issue, but What's very clear is that what was then considered the working class has changed quite a bit in the right. interim 100 years or so. And But the question still remains as to whether um, social change is going to come through changing people's minds or whether it's going to come about because the system breaks down and results in such large conflicts that there is there are no options, and we may be heading in that direction. I fear. Yeah, I mean, I think there one could make a case. One can make an argument that 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 capitalism around the world is in, is in a state of crisis. Now, this has been said by some folks for quite a long time. Uh, I can I can go back and find stuff that was certainly written in the 80s about the crises in capitalism. But nonetheless, um, but you, you raise a couple of points that I think are, are worth um, talking about, and then we'll take a little music break here. I mean, one of the things that uh, Marx wrote back in 1845, one of the quotes that I, I've seen reprinted many times is, and it's in the film, the young Marx, the young Karl Marx, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it. And that's kind of what set Marx and Engels apart from other people that were that they were in, in constant kind of debate and, and, and conversation with about the state of the world is that, you know, it's not enough to just uh, say things are bad or come up with a you know a, a case for how things are but to actually come up with a way to change it and the other thing that you raise that I think is really important is that you know and this is just back to this day and age is that there's a lot of um and I don't want to like just totally denigrate this idea but there's a lot, a lot of this uh what one writer has referred to as this go-getting mantra that to uh to affect social change we first have to change ourselves and uh, Jason Barker, who wrote in the Times a couple of days ago, says, um, but enlightened or rational thinking is not enough since the norms of thinking are already skewed by the structures of male privilege and social hierarchy, even down to the language you use. Changing those norms entails changing the very foundations of society, which it, I interpret it as saying, sure, it's fine to change yourself. It's always good to figure out how to be a better person in your role in the world but that's not enough that if you know we need to do more than that we need to work to change the system that we uh, live in well of course this was one of Marx's big 
points in his own time, he wasn't the first socialist. There were others before him who had promoted the idea that capitalism had problems and that uh, one needed to consider how it could be made a more humane system. Uh, you know, there was a lot of inequality and suffering and people were quite <coughs> quite clear about it. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, one of Marx's major points was that it's not ideas that change the world. It's the actual underlying system of production and the system, the structure under underlying ideas. In fact, he distinguished himself from other socialists in that major uh, way. He called himself uh, a materialist because he felt that the real forces of production were what determined what was possible and what was not possible. So it wasn't just a matter of changing people's ideas. Uh, you didn't start there. You had to understand where those ideas came from and what supported the ideology underlying any particular history, historical period. Which uh, which uh, a system which essentially puts profits ahead of people that that you know and that that people are are relegated to creating profit for the masses of people working class people are are, are relegated to to creating profit for the few. Hi, this is Elise Bryant, and you're tuned in to the Radical Songbook on 88.9 KPOV, High Desert Community Radio. I'm here in the studio with Romir Chatterjee, my friend Romir Chatterjee. We're celebrating uh, the birthday of uh, Karl Marx, and uh, he would be 200 years old uh, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, so just to pick up where uh, one of the things that, that you suggested that we, we, we need to remind people of is... is uh, just what are what is capitalism as an economic system? What uh, what is it about it that uh, that makes it unstable? What are, what are the role of working classes? What's class conflict about? Things of that nature. Well, that's a place to start. Anyway, um, I think Marx's great contribution has been and continues to be the way he analyzed what had happened in the 19th century and what he then went on to analyze uh, history, social history as a, uh, in even going back to uh, much earlier times. And he came to a very central conclusion that under capitalism, which by the way he thought of as a very a powerful system to change the productive forces, as he called it, namely its ability to organize um, the means of production in a very efficient way. Um, he went on to describe how capitalism was the result of a series of uh, changes that had occurred in the ability of human beings to organize the productive system. And um, what he came to the conclusion was that capitalism had, in some sense, uh, represented the sort of pinnacle of development um, and as each, uh, as in his own time, what was so singularly, what was so remarkable was that for the first time, uh, there were broadly speaking two broad classes in society. There were those who owned and those who didn't. And those who didn't were basically 
forced to work for a living. Uh, in previous uh, periods, uh, people could get by by perhaps surviving on their own in small farms or uh, workshops where they could uh, make do, shoes, make or, shoes, or blacksmiths who could make tools and so forth. But for the first time uh, by the 19th century, that was all disappearing. And uh, it's interesting to note that today, in the world in which we live, there are a huge number of illusions that we have. For example, this idea that you can do anything you want, provided, <laughs> you know, you have the uh, proper go-get-it attitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if you look at the realities... The realities are pretty stark. <laughs> yeah, it's, and and you know, and, and even today, I mean, you see it with with how how uh, you know small business to the demise of small businesses of so called quote unquote mom and pop businesses and stuff. You know, is is uh, they're being you know basically driven out of business by mega corporations. Same kind of thing that was happening back then. That's right, and uh, you know, there's this illusion that. Uh, small businesses employ the largest numbers of people, but that doesn't tell you very much. Large numbers of people are also very unstably employed, and if you happen to be one of those who works for a small business, the chances are you're not going to retire with very much right. security. Right. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so the whole issue of whether you can survive in this world without uh, the debt, uh, the wage system under which some people own everything and others own nothing except their labor, that idea harks back to Marx. And he was the first person to really lay that system out. So, Romero, it sounds to me like you're talking about uh, a possible conflict between two different classes here. Are you trying to foment class conflict, or or uh, would I, it be safe to say that class conflict would exist without what you're saying? I think uh, <laughs> Marx was also very clear on that issue, that uh, class conflict was not of his making, or because he said it was so but because that was what the system had evolved to. And in a way, we're still stuck in that same system. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, so many people on the right will immediately throw up this idea that, oh, you're, you know, anytime anybody raises, well, when Bernie would raise even some of the, you know, things that he would raise in this campaign, you know, people who were opposed to Bernie Sanders would, would accuse him of fomenting class conflict as if, he was doing it and not, um, oh, say, the bosses. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the interesting point that I think one needs to dwell on is that uh, have things really changed that much? It's true that uh, compared to the 19th century when Marx was writing, uh, the working class, those who have to work for a living, and uh, had their conditions have certainly improved in this country. But if you look at the system globally and you think about what's happened in the world as a whole uh, and you realize that what has happened in a way is the world has become polarized into the haves and the have-nots, and uh, that's something that continues to go on today. Yeah, and in many cases, even 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 under worse conditions, uh, uh, in some countries, you know, I mean, there are places in this world where, yeah, the exploitation and 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 the power of of capitalism to um, to continue to uh, make that create that those conditions. I mean, I, I think about companies like just to bring it back to Oregon. I think about a company like Nike. You know, uh, which, uh, you know, gets all these 
plaudits for being, you know, such a great place and all of that. The reality is that, uh, you know, the original and to this day, profits are derived from uh, the the work of kids overseas who are getting paid lousy wages, working in really bad conditions, making sneakers. And of course, this was something that was very prevalent in the 19th century exactly. when Marx was uh, writing. Exactly. The factory system and the use of child labor, which Charles Dickens wrote about right. and yeah. uh, documented. It's, it's more global now, it's now though, because of the of, technology, because yeah, of the ability to do it. That's right, and and that seems that that seems to be like uh, ingrained in 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 the the, the system of capitalist exploitation that uh, you know it it may be uh, uh, in a sense it's always been around, but you know it um, every opportunity that 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 capitalists have to to increase profits to to increase exploitation. Uh, every whether it's technology or just the ability of tra transfer everything that 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 goes into it, uh, every opportunity that they have, uh, they jump on, right? right? First and foremost, it's like, oh, cool, <laughs> we can do this now. But going back to uh, Marx and his the central ideas in Marx, I think uh, the, the key idea in his thinking was that capitalism was a very productive system, but it relied at its base on huge inequality based on ownership. If you didn't happen to be born into a situation where you had access to capital, you were reduced to relying on your labor. And the system of production was built on that underlying split between those who owned and those who did not. And that system probably continues to this day. I mean, if you think about it, uh, we are still, while lots of things have changed and... Uh, the working class here has become much more prosperous. It has done so through uh, the exploitation of other working class uh, countries where you have a system of global exploitation now. And in a way, we live in a very uh, privileged situation here. In, here in the u.s yes yes yeah yeah which is which in a way has kind of well it's been part of the uh if you will the uh the the kind of the buying off of of the working class in this country with, with little things here and there right i mean you know perks and i, I don't know I, i'm not describing it well but you understand what i'm saying is that you know we i mean we live in a society in my view, we live in a class society where the majority of people have been have been led to believe that we don't live in a class society. That yeah, and that and the, the middle class is something you know that's not the working class. Well, the middle class is also shrinking. I mean, <laughs> right? You're getting to a point where what we thought there was a middle class is rapidly disappearing. Right. Yeah. Well, in a sense, what you're describing is a system where, um, uh, where in order to have to, to to in order to have winners, people who gain from and or, or, or profit from a system, you're required to have losers. You're ha you know, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but you're required to have people who uh, are exploited, taken advantage of, and can never really improve their lot. And he laid out, Marx was the first person to really lay out the foundations of how the system worked in terms of the relationship between individual groups and classes and the system of production. Because, uh, and today, that system is essentially intact. 
what he talked about is still very much a work in progress. Uh, capitalism, as we know, has changed a lot. We have fantastic uh, technology and so forth, but it's undoing a lot of our lives in the process. And he spoke about that with great force and insight going back to his own times. Uh, think about uh, the instability in which most of us live today. The fact that uh, so many people have so much, whereas the vast majority live a very insecure existence, even here in this country. Right. Yeah, the idea that people that we hear commonly expressed uh, that uh, you know that people feel that they're just like one less paycheck removed from disaster, disaster, catastrophe in their lives, and and when and if they don't have health in, adequate, if they don't have adequate health insurance, that one illness can yeah. be devastating. They can right. lose you can lose everything mm-hmm. uh, that you have. Uh, and that that's kind of inherently in that's still in, very much inherent in in the way that capitalism functions. Well, we'll certainly um, see a lot more of this going on. I think if you look to the future, we're not going to. We, I think, uh, it'd be useful to sort of talk a little bit about since Marx is the subject matter of one of one of this uh, program, given that it's his birthday coming up. What's to celebrate? <laughs> All right. Very good, yes. <laughs> and, Why do we have uh, this birthday cake with 200 candles on it? That's right, that's right. Uh, and I have my thoughts on that, and perhaps you do too. But uh, certainly uh, that's something we can yeah, begin with. I, I certainly view Marx as being probably as important a figure in uh, modern history as perhaps uh, Darwin and Einstein. Uh, if you think about three individuals who had an impact on the world in which we now live, I'd say those three are the central figures, and they were all Interestingly enough, in my view, scientists. And Marx was no exception to that, except right. that he was dealing with social systems. And he tore it apart and sort of examined it in great detail. So you're putting Marx into a category with two guys who are uh, really, well, of course, Darwin. I mean, there are people that, you know, frown on Darwin from extreme right, you know, but Christian right, I guess I would say, but uh, you're putting you're putting Karl Marx up there with two pretty um, pretty amazing and you know well thought of individuals. So, uh, well, I'm just thinking about people who've had an impact on the way we live today, and there are three outstanding people who come to mind. And how and how does Karl? Uh, and I think Karl Marx comes to mind because. He, for the first time, recognized certain things about the system in which we live that others had not quite uh, put their finger on. And uh, it was this central fact that capitalism represented the sort of ultimate system by which only two broad classes came into existence, those who owned the means of production and those who had nothing to sell other than their labor. Now, the question is, is that still true? And if that's true, what does it mean? Um, uh, Labor as a system of, if you look at the societies all around the world, even today, And you ask the question, what makes these societies different? What makes for a system that's successful and not successful? Um, You come to one central conclusion, and that is that 
you have to have a system of production in place where people produce stuff that they need and consume, but they consume, but they also produce what is called a surplus. And that surplus then becomes the basis for which progress can take place. And so if you think of the system as a machine, production of surpluses is a critical factor. So if you have societies that are poor compared to societies that are rich, what is the difference? The difference is that societies have the ability to produce more than they consume. And that became his starting point of analysis. And uh, the other singular point that he came to the conclusion was that capitalism was the first system under which labor, that is, our ability to uh, change the world in which we live through working, labor itself became a subject for exchange and for it became a commodity, just like a pair of shoes. Uh, and eventually reduced the system of production to one where you had just two distinguished classes in society. There were, of course, in between uh, classes that had some, uh, there were more than just two classes, but two great classes emerged, and those who owned and those who did not and had only their labor to sell. And I think that was his central sort of insight. And that system then developed the ability to create enormous wealth for certain people and for others it left them out. And it became a system based on the exchange of labor and that was the key element that drove the entire system. And that's basically what he lays out in his book, the famous book that he wrote, Das Kapital. And so when you talk about you know, a society that produces where, where there's a surplus created, then, then part, of the, part of the issue is what happens with that, what is done with that surplus. Right. I mean, there are, and there are different, you can do different things with it. Of course. You can consume it, in, or you can invest it in improving the lives, the system of production. Right, improving the lives of the people the who are producing and, it. But the question then is, when you do that, does it really benefit people? The other point that he made was, of course, that under capitalism, uh, while labor is reduced to a product just like anything else, the system doesn't develop on the basis of what people need, but on the basis of what creates profit for those who own. And that is certainly something that you see today all around you. You see people who have enormous wealth and those who have mainly their labor. And the question then becomes, why is it that people who have only their labor to rely on, why are their lives so unstable? Why is it that the system can't provide some security for people? There is no social safety net in place. Why is that? And that's something that... Uh, Marx laid out in great detail how that system came to be. That you, for the first time, had, you know, in previous previous periods like feudalism, those who owned land had certain rights and responsibilities towards those who didn't. So, if you happen to be 
a serf living on a, a feudal manor, you could at least be assured that your basic needs would be met. I mean, that was... But under capitalism, where labor became a subject, a commodity to be bought and sold on a marketplace, your only... Your only uh, social safety net, if you will, was your skills and whether there was a market for your skills. Right. Yeah, and if there's no market for your skills today even. You're done for. You're done. Yeah. And that's happening now, especially with, uh, you know, if you think about artificial intelligence and right. and what's happened to work and the technology that's available now. A lot of people are concerned as to whether there will be work to be had for people, you right. know, whether people will find jobs and whether uh, there will be uh, a system in place where they can go out and sell their labor. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's happening on all kinds of levels, even in the medical profession, it's happening with doctors. Yeah. As technology kind of takes over. I mean, you know, there's all these advances that that you know that are that are identified as progress that don't necessarily um result in um helping those who are who are left behind by progress yeah. i guess is what i would say by right. what what is considered progress so there are ways that you could take when you get back to you know there are systems that that could be created that would uh that would help everyone, that basically would, um, to use a populist phrase, that, you know, the idea that uh, that uh, everybody does better when everybody does better, right? This idea that, yeah. you know, that we're all, you know, that we're all in this together kind of thing. And, and so one could, that that would be, that's kind of not, that's kind of an, antithesis, what's the right the word? Antithesis. To, of, of capitalism. Okay, yeah. It's it's a populist kind of st uh, thing. Real populism as opposed to uh, Trump's phony populism. Well, one of the uh, results of his analysis was the idea that when you came down right down to it with these two great, classes in society becoming the major driving force of the system, workers on the one side and capitalists and owners on the other, that in this kind of a situation, he felt that given the instability that the system created, that ultimately the only way things could be made more stable was to create a different system where exchange and sort of the marketplace was not the only reason for production. And a society had to be created in which needs and human, uh, human needs became the primary sort of object of society rather than profit. And uh, it's in that context that he singled out labor, the working class, as having a historic mission because they had nothing to lose other than their chains, as right. they put it. Yeah, and, and um, but creating this kind of system, which, would, which could be, would be driven by you know, the larger group of people, the masses, the workers, there's more workers. There are more workers than there are bosses, basically speaking, in terms of the, these two classes. But creating this kind of system, uh, the bosses, while there may be fewer of them, have a lot of power, and they're, they, uh, they're the ones that create the conflict around this whole idea of, doing, of making this kind of change. That they're not going to benefit. They're going to lose. They're going to lose, and so therein, uh, you know, that, that therein comes the whole conflict between the idea of capitalism, the idea of socialism or communism, right? Right, and uh, but he, the other great contribute. Uh, so one idea that he was very clear about was the idea that labor, because of its primary role in the whole system, labor and working people had a central role to play. 
And one of the questions that uh, when we talk about his significance is whether that system is still true and whether we can in fact identify with some of his critical ideas. I mean, is there a working class today? That's a good question. I mean, if we've reached a point where uh, he had in mind when he talked about the working class, he was talking about the industrial working class where you had factories and workers who were put in factories and worked on a production line and churned out products over a 10-hour, 12-hour day and at the end of the day were paid a wage. Well, that system has changed somewhat. And uh, the question is, if we no longer live in a world where factories of that sort dominate the production system, is there a working class? Is there the ability to think about groups of people who will become the sort of vanguard of social change, as Marx once thought? Uh, these are questions that haven't entirely been resolved. Right. And Well, I mean, there are still people, obviously, around the world and here in the U.S. who do work in factories and do work for a oh, wage sure. and do produce. I mean, automobiles is a great example of, of an industry that is still very much driven uh, – a uh, you know, driven by you know the working class is putting is is creating the product, but what you're saying is that 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 as things have changed, or if I understand what you're saying is that we have that, but we also have like all different ways of looking at this stuff now. Too. Well, in a way, the working different ways class of defining has been people. sort of the world has now been sort of integrated into a global system. And if you want to ask the question, what's the relevance of Marx in this day and age, it's not so much in his uh, analysis of what goes on in individual countries, but in terms of a global system, you still have pretty much the same thing. You have the working class, especially in poorer countries, and developing countries where they have exactly the same situations that he described as being uh, in force back in the 19th century, except that now here in this country we don't see it. Right. Uh, we're separated from uh, a lot of the uh, worst sort of aspects of capitalism. Right, or or in the case of, and, and again, you know, in the case of in, in cer certain industries where people have um, um, earn a wage, get a benefit, whatever that really uh, has improved their personal lives to the extent that they are they're accepting it. Yeah, they're accepting of it rather than seeing themselves as being uh, exploited. I guess I would say because they still are. I mean, I would argue that an auto worker is still is still exploited within the definition of exploitation, but doesn't necessarily um, feel it, believe it. Well, if you look at the last election and you look at what happened, uh, much of Mr. Trump's support came from the very disaffected working class who felt that they had been cheated all the for much of their lives right um, yes and the fact is that they probably were right in the, many ways the uh yes that cheating as you call it and they and the uh the treatment i guess i would say of of the working class in this country has been uh uh it's been bipartisan that's right it's it's it's, it's not a, it's uh you know it it happens regardless of which of the two mainstream political parties happens to hold power, uh, the exploitation goes on. Uh, and, uh, and that's part of the other thing that, you know, people buy into the notion that it's worse under Republicans than under Democrats. And to, on certain levels that one can find evidence of that, you know, there's no question. But that doesn't mean that it's not going on, uh, even if you elect uh, Barack Obama as president. 
Hello there, fellow travelers. This is Pittsburgh gravel rouser Ann Feeney, and you're listening to The Radical Songbook on High Desert Community Radio, KPOV 88.9 FM, and streaming on the web at kpov.org. Before we get into the concluding remarks, Ramir, I just want to let people know you turned me on to this uh, website, Reading Marx's Capital with David Harvey. And we've talked off off air, we've talked about how it's, it can be challenging to read the work of Karl Marx and particularly Capital, uh, his you know major piece of work and how it's often um, helpful to read it in a group uh, with people in a study group or something like that, a book, book group or book club or however you want to phrase it. We called them study study groups back in the 60s. I guess they're book book uh, groups now. But the point being that it's a lot easier to read a book like that in a group. But also, if you're not able to do that, if you go to uh, look up David Harvey online, there's basically – there's audio that you can that you can access and listen to uh, 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 that David Harvey has provided for people who uh, are on their own reading marks. And I guess it's – you've looked into a little bit a little bit of this. Yeah, it's great, actually. It's uh, He's been offering this course uh, for some 20 years, and uh, it's very interesting sort of way of approaching Marx uh, if you get interested in trying to understand what his system of thinking was. Right, yeah, and so you can start out, uh, dear listeners, if you're interested, you can read the Communist Manifesto. That's the 20 to 30 pages, depending on – what size of how the volume is put to the how it's actually published it's not a it's a you know you can basically read it in one setting uh and get a get a sense of that book as uh, that pamphlet actually as a, as a you know the uh the, the most famous thing that Marx and Engels put together and then you can go using uh, uh David Harvey's website uh go on and read capital and then who knows maybe you'll want to read all the other stuff that Marx uh Marx wrote so we want to conclude we're running out of time, but we want to get to um, – you wanted to talk a bit about um, the whole idea of changing the world in which we live. And it gets back to Marx's statement that, you know, philosophers have only interpreted the world in the in the past and that the well, if thing one is, is to change to, it. Uh, you know, at the outset we talked about Marx as being one of the three most uh, influential thinkers of his time. Uh, and you, I certainly think of him as on a par with Darwin and Einstein. Um, the question is why, and uh, ultimately the reasoning is that uh, few people have had the same kind of ability to inspire social change as Marx did. Marx didn't do all of his thinking about capitalism as a system in just for the hell of it. It wasn't right. that he was just uh, interested academic. Right. Or he was interested in changing things. And in fact, he was a very uh, singular force in establishing what became a movement of international significance. Which you can see a bit of in the film, the young Karl Marx. Yeah, exactly. You can see that he's, he's not just, this is not just an academic exercise on his part at all. Not at all. He was, uh, although he spent much of his life out of the limelight, he, uh, he certainly inspired uh, social movements all over the world. And he is looked upon as the sort of father of modern socialism. And uh, certainly that was true during the peak of the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union came about, it was largely as a result of Marx. Um, Lenin and his followers uh, took their lead from Marx and his analysis of capitalism. Well, communism collapsed on a global scale, but it's still, the ideas still inspire people all over the world. And um, so uh, he was very clear that the reason for analyzing things in the way he did was in order to change it. And certainly all of us today are faced with many of the same issues. How do we go about changing the world in which we live? Uh, it's not a simple matter. 
and it's not easy to do, but you have to have some basis on which to analyze the world one lives in. And that's what Marx, I think, gave us, a system of analyzing the world and then deciding how one might go about changing it. And right on. Thank you, Romir Chatterjee, for coming in. I really just enjoy having these conversations with you. Oh, it's it's been great, great fun, yeah. Uh, great. I'm glad. I really appreciate you taking the time here as we celebrate the 200th birthday of uh, Karl Marx, the 99th birthday of Pete Seeger, and the 87th birthday of, of Willie, uh, Mays. Willie Mays. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.